Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional Halo opponents delve into their experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And as always, I am one half of this podcast, Brian, the engineering half. I've been an engineer for about a decade. John, do you want to introduce yourself? And my name is John, John Christensen, and I am the product half of the equation. I've been in a product role for about four years of my career, but in and around product and software delivery for over a decade now. I think I say this every time, but when I hear you say decade, I feel old. Uh, 10 plus decade, however we want to say. It. I mean, pretty soon it's going to be closer to 15 years than 10 it's, years. It's getting there. It yeah. Like at I mean, an alarming I think rate. it's like 13 years now. It's crazy, man. For you. Crazy. Yeah. So, you started a little bit because I, I wrapped I up college <laughs> and then got, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it that way. All right. And tonight we are talking about buzzwords, uh, from each person's domain, product and engineering that are both overused and some that are underused. And this is kind of meant to be a, a more lighthearted kind of ribbon the other person a little bit and hopefully get some some nuggets of intelligence <laughs> out of the middle. Yeah. Uh, but we both picked, go ahead. I would say, as with anything, like all these, like if we were going to spend a whole pro- uh, podcast talking about one of these topics, like you get into the minutia and the fine detail, but this is more just like when someone just gets thrown out in a conversation, you're just like, you have no context of what that actually is supposed to be done or being used or whatever. Like, yeah. So today's more lighthearted, more just like what, what gets just said too much or not yep. enough. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. And by underused, it's some of these, I think we'll, we'll probably hear a lot or maybe hear a lot in their specific companies, but they may be not used very well or maybe not used appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> and the same for overused. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then the only other thing I'll say is we didn't like pull the world or the internet for this list. This is no. just the two of us. So if you hear, so maybe or your don't company hear does terms, this amazingly. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe your company does these amazingly for us. These are ones that we feel like we yep. hear in our, in our sphere. Yeah. All opinions are our own. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat, Repeat. Right. Are, we, are we starting right, with product or engineering? I think you, I think we go overused, overused, underused, underused. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Overused product. Okay, so overused product. The very first one I've got is MVP. And I say that this is overused because it's it comes up in nearly every project. So the the iteration is, or the in my experience at least, you start with this grand vision and it's elaborate and it's world changing. And then you pause and you say, We can't possibly accomplish that. What's the MVP? And then for the next six months, or however long that project runs, everybody's talking about the MVP. And it might start small, but in my experience, it often grows and becomes like MVP just turns into the things that we want to have happen or the things that we want to create. So uh, I, I feel that term gets overused. Do you want to defend it? Um, I'll both defend it and agree. I feel like MVP gets overused because it gets used inappropriately or, or poorly. So the idea that oh my gosh, this thing's too big. We're never going to build it. We need to strip it down and make it MVP. Like if that's the reason, if it's purely a scope decision, you're not doing MVP correctly. The reason why you do MVP is because you're trying to de-risk a project. And so, but problem is most places aren't set up to do MVP. If you are a company that only releases four times a year and you really think you're going to devote a quarter to a project and next quarter you're going to come back and work on it again and not get trumped by another priority, you are not ready for an MVP. Um, if you are a company that doesn't have the ability to react quickly and 
release something, learn from it, and then release on top of it and build and grow, you are not ready for MVP. So I actually, that's why I grabbed this book in the background, Inspired, um, even calls it before that. It isn't called MVP, multiple viable product, minimum viable product. It's minimum viable viable prototype. Like, how do I release something, get feedback on it, and iterate? Release something, get feedback on it, and iterate. Even if all it is is a piece of paper of demos, like... I love so I love the concept of MVP. I want to defend MVP, but if you are just saying MVP is the way the world is working and we're going to go be an MVP company, but you have no infrastructure or plan or process to support it, it's horrible. So I agree with this one. I think it's overused, yeah. um, but I still think there's a core there that companies should try to get to if you're in the right industry. And in a lighthearted tone, again, the MV part of it, I think, is what gets overused. So I, I've heard MV stuck before. Uh, and the minimum viable release, minimum viable technology, minimum viable, yep. and it, it just kind of turns into, uh, you know, the what's the, the least thing we can do? In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's, you know, what's, what's, what's the smallest, the smallest thing, thing I can hand you that you won't be yeah. mad about? <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that, that's just not the point. But it is yep. way overused because I don't think people are set up for it. All right, what's your next one? Before, do you want to do a book reference? You said Inspire. Who's the author? Oh, sorry. Yeah, we can go ahead. Uh, I'm only about halfway through this, but and it's been around a while for for the product world. It's inspired um, by Marty Kagan. Um, so if you've been any kind of product owner book club, you've probably read it or probably gone through it. But it's 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 really kind of how. Oh man, I cover so much, but it's how to create tech products customers love, and of course, central theme of that is. Um, MVP, but then iterating. You you release in order to de-risk. You do MVP to de-risk. So instead of making a ton of assumptions, working for nine months, and then releasing something, and you realize that your assumptions are wrong, you do an MVP or mini minimum viable um, even prototype. You get feedback, and maybe the feedback puts you onto something completely different. And so the idea is you test the risks as early as possible. So anything that's not a known quantity that's a risk, you test it early, and then you iterate off that risk. So mm-hmm. I've loved it. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from it. So that's my plug for the day. Awesome. Uh, so the next overused one that I have is deadline. And I actually had an eye-opening moment for this a while back where someone redefined deadline as the date where shipping a product no longer has any value. So it's, you know, it, it's after, if you ship this thing after X window, you've got, you know, a big event or you've got... Uh, you know, a, a a regulatory hurdle that if you ship afterwards, you're there's like you're already fined for it or whatever it is. It's not the date we want a thing by, but it's the date that after which it has no value. It's it's dead. There is no point in releasing it after that line. But I think deadline gets used a lot for when I want it, and uh, or from <laughs> from the product side. And again, I'm I'm sniping a little bit here, but it gets used as a proxy for when I would like to release the thing rather than when the thing is no longer worth releasing. That's fair. I feel like for that one, again, this is just the, the three minute debate version. I feel like for that one, it just depends on how you define your terms. Cause there's so many terms today that just get used and how they've been adopted in culture today. So if you were going to be very specific in how you wanted to defer deadline, yeah, I would probably nod and agree and agree with you. I still think there is a accountability to where engineering is always going to want more time and products always going to want to be faster. So like product, like to product doesn't work without engineering pushing back on realistic expectations and engineering doesn't work without product pushing and saying, no, you actually have to get something across the finish line and deliver something like there's a natural tension there that has to exist that very rarely goes well without it. So product coming in saying, yeah, I'm expecting to release it by this time. And, and sure I could push my marketing back or yeah, maybe it's not a deadline or, or maybe I know I have an extra three months in my back pocket. I still expect it to be delivered by this time because that's what 
that's when it should be delivered. That's the amount of time I'm willing to give to it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying from the product perspective. I understand that there is a natural rub here, but I, I do feel like it's a healthy accountability for from product towards engineering to be like, no, we need to commit to a date and try to be there. And it can't be like, meh, we'll get to it next quarter. It's like, no, if you need to work 45 hours this week instead of 40 this week, because you committed to a deadline, like you should do that yeah, yep. every week, not all the time, but we have to have some ownership and accountability in, in trying to meet a date. My, yeah. my, my, my defense of it. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there is definitely room for some healthy tension inside of this one. Cause I, I think you're right. Most happy engineers would never le- release a thing. <laughs> you would just, you know, sit and build and, and do it for yourself. But there is some value in saying, um, we acknowledge that the business needs this to be released. And so our goal will be to release it at this time. Um, but for whatever reason, when it, when it gets called a deadline, it feels overly dramatic to me. <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's just, uh, just history. Probably intentional. You know, um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably intentional. Great point. Uh, the next one I threw in was ETA and t-shirt sizing, <laughs> which is a little bit in the same, uh, the same vein. I think I made this joke early on in a podcast, but whenever a product owner or anyone asks me for an estimate, all I hear is Admiral Akbar from Star Wars in my head yelling, it's a trap. Uh, but this is kind of the same thing where I think t-shirt sizing gets used a lot because estimating is hard and risky and both sides know that. And so then instead of saying we're going to put hours or months or days we use some kind of a proxy, whether it's points or t-shirt sizing or, you know, putting an ETA on something. But we we throw that term out as this is an easier way to project a date. And then it inevitably or not inevitably, but it often gets sucked away into, uh, you know, the the planning powers that be. Mm-hmm. And your t-shirt sizings are now chiseled in stone somewhere <laughs> and you can't change them. So I, I think that one comes up a lot as, Estimating is really hard. Let's do t-shirt sizing instead. Um, kind of overusing it as a proxy for not putting the effort in. And I probably actually agree with this one, but at the same time, again, coming to the defense of it, like you have to have a starting point. Like if, if, especially if you're getting more away from agile and you're going more waterfall where you do have things that you can't really iterate on, it's like, we have to migrate this database. We have to migrate this system or like it's more start and finish type things. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to have a swing at, how much time is this going to take? Like, I think the thing you said that I, I think you have to be careful of is like, you do need to have a way to reevaluate that because we, we've all, every project, like what, what project was a totally, completely, totally according to plan. Um, so you have to have ability to rediscuss timelines, deadlines, or scope because that can be a trade-off as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the communication has to be there. But the idea of, I need to have a rough idea about this, about this before we go and officially size and and write the requirements for every piece of it. Like, I just don't think you can get away from that. So I know engineers hate it. I get why engineers hate it because they're like, Hey, I have this rough idea. What do you think? Well, I think it's roughly three months. And like, all of a sudden it's like, Oh my goodness, we uncovered a mountain. This is a six month thing. Or, you know, you say, you say three days and now it's a week and a half. And I'm like, where'd my sprint go? Mm -hmm. Like, so I I totally get the frustration, but you, you still have to have a premonition on a work, a scope of effort, at least at the start, even if you're able to reevaluate this. I put more pressure and more uh, a fix more on how do you reevaluate once you do get more detail, once you do get further into it. Yeah. Yeah. So then again, I feel like this applies more to waterfall. Sorry. Sorry. I do feel like this applies more to waterfall than it does to agile. Agile, if you're running into this issue, uh, you're not, you're not concepting and grooming enough. Right. And you're probably not using the agile concepts well enough to like detach 
actual time from your points. So maybe maybe the missing buzzword here that should get used more is t-shirt resizing, where <laughs> yep. you get a chance to resize your t-shirt. All right, those are my my overused product. <laughs> uh, do you want to hit the overused engineering? Man, I just the last one just makes me want to get into like agile debates and things like that. But <laughs> I'll, I'll go on. Overused by engineering. <laughs> well, it's a list. We got like a list of like thirty topics for this podcast. It's great. So, all right. So let's move on to overused. What I think engineering overused. I feel like iterate is engineering's version of MVP. Um, like, oh, we'll just iterate. <laughs> like, we'll just iterate. Or like, no, let's just get it out the door this way, and then we'll come back and we'll iterate. And all you mean is you're going to build tech debt that you're never going to come back to, or when you do want to come back to it, you want to take out of my features, my feature capacity, so you can go iterate on your technical uh, system. Yeah, I got, we're sniping. Yeah, being oh, that's that's totally fair. Yeah, <laughs> they, and you said as you were saying that um, the other the other term that's used the same way is fast follow. Or, oh, you know, like a fast yep. follow-up and, yep. oh, like, don't worry about it. You know, I'll, I'll give you the bad version now and it's not, it won't be stable. It won't always work, but I'll iterate on it oh, man. <laughs> in six months, you know, it'll be working great for you or, yep. you know, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I won't be able to get the actual feature that you wanted the first time, but it'll come as a fast follow. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> don't feel like engineer, I feel like iterate or even fast follower was engineers way of getting back at MVP. It's just like, Oh, so you guys are going to use this MVP. You guys are going to like make a fancy term for not getting what you want. Well, we'll make a fancy term in response for not giving you what you want the first time. I'll iterate on your MVP. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll have something we care about. Oh, too funny. Uh, That's I actually, I'd never thought about that, but you're right. We, we use that in nearly the same way that product does where, it's it's just like oh this is a hard this is so much harder than we thought let's do the first iteration and then we'll continue iterating. Yep, <laughs> that's the same exactly. Segment. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that stings a little. All right, so I got to defend Bullseye. it. <laughs> <laughs> so the there is there is something to this where um writing large amounts of code and waterfall agile debates aside. Mm-hmm. The more code you write without seeing it run, the bigger your your risk is. And so yeah. the more often that you can push something to a customer or test or release or get a see concept in the wild. used, you can see it work, the better off you are. And then if it's sincere and and you're you're not just using, I'll get that in the next iteration as an excuse for I'm not going to do something that's important now but you really are looking for feedback. You're trying to find gaps. You're trying to uncover surprises. And then you really are coming back and fixing those things and improving on them. Then I think iterating and when done properly is a great way to build software. If you can really operate in that mindset. So it can't be, I'm not going to do that hard thing. Now it has to be, I'm going to break this hard thing up into smaller things that are easier to solve that will build on each other to hand you the real, real result that you're looking for. Yeah, I, f- I really feel like iterate and MVP are the same thing. Like you can abuse those words, but if you can use them in the right context and you're in a software development shop that works with the mindset of release early, release often, learn, de-risk, but then re- but come back and keep iterating on it and you have that freedom and you have that uh, priority, it's it can be a beautiful thing. I'll, so I'll include this in the show notes. There's an XKCD. Have I sent you many of these? A couple times, okay. yeah. Every now and so again, there's there's a joke in one that there's a code word to get past all of the tech support people that you call. So if you say shibboleth on when you're trying to get through to your ISP or whatever, then you get sent to the engineers and they'll actually help you. And I think some of these get used that way, where it's like an engineer sees 
uh, somebody else say, I'm going to iterate on it. And then all the problems go away, product calms down, <laughs> and then we can all move on. But without understanding the value of the iteration, they just repeat it. And they say, well, I don't know how to get this product person to calm down. So I'm going to tell them I'm going to iterate. And then they go away. And that's where it, it goes from being a useful idea that's helpful to being kind of an incantation. And it's probably the same with MVP. I feel like that's a great segue, though, into microservices. Because I feel that's I, like my next one overused by engineering is microservices. I feel like the idea of, oh, we'll just make it a microservice. I'm like, sometimes I think myself as a product owner and product manager knows more what I'm looking for by a microservice than what an engineer does when he says, oh, we'll just build a microservice. And it's just, yeah. again, it's like someone's like, oh, I've heard that microservices is a great design. So I'll just say we're going to make microservices out of it. I'm just like, do you know what you mean by that? So often, no. Um, and, and this one stings, because uh, <laughs> like this is. And weird. I love microservices. Let me be let me be very clear. Like a microservice system that says, "Here's an input. I do this thing. I give you an output. Then it gets passed on to the next microservice that takes an input and judges this thing and gives you an output." It's like I love microservice design because as a product person, it makes it very easy to understand the architecture of what piece does what and what is broken. And so it may make a more complicated system from a box perspective, but I understand the boxes. So I love microservices. I just don't think, and I think engineers overuse it and don't always know what they're, I mean, hundred percent. Now, you're, now yeah. your chance. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to decide if I defend it or if I slam it just first, yield. but yeah. <laughs> so can, actually, can we have a define your terms when you say microservice, yeah, and I think that's a fair question because I'm, it's what I'm accusing engineers of. So let me try to find it. When I think of a microservice, I mean a service that can take a given set of inputs and and run a function on it and give me a given set of ex exports. So it doesn't matter what system gave me those inputs. As long as the system gives me the inputs in the format that I'm expecting, I can spit out results. So, for example, if I made a economic microservice, I took cost, I took time, I took input, I munched the numbers to the equation I want, and I gave you uh, economic cost on the back end. I don't care what fed me those values. As long as I was fed those values, I'm going to spit out a logic result. And a lot of time then that output gets put in the next microservice to then run the next part of the operation. So it's instead of having one long algorithm or one long piece of code that does the economics, then does the next thing and does the next thing, and you have one giant blob that's trying to do five different things when I want a microservice, I want to break each of those out that they can live independently, and you can also troubleshoot them independently. So from a product perspective that's slightly architectural, that's what I expect out of a microservice. You take a certain set of inputs, you run a very specific, as minimal function as possible. Sometimes they get complicated still, um, but you run a given set of functions, and you give me an output. Start, end. And if something's broken, I know it's in that microservice. Sorry, does that help? Absolutely. Uh the one, the one thing I'll emphasize that was in your definition is the transition between services. So it's also data domain ownership, where a microservice has to own the data that it's provided, the storage of it, and then transitioning it or choosing to send it somewhere else when it's supposed to. Um, and I, I, like being cynical of my own field, I think you're right, where there are probably times when a product owner has a better understanding of where the data domain ownership is going to be able to be chunked up and sectioned into a microservice than the engineers do. Because as a product owner, you know, this other system needs first name and last name. This one needs, you know, social security yep. number or what have you. Um, so yeah, there are probably times when engineers say that because they're tired of working in a big complicated thing. And then instead of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to cut this chunk of data out, 
I'm going to move it somewhere else so I can own it and I can deal with it as a discrete unit. They just say, I'm going to create a microservice. <laughs> and it's an excuse to uh, start a new web server. It's great. You have nothing in your Tomcat. You know, your war file is empty. Your deploys deploy <laughs> yeah. go without having merge yep. conflicts. Nobody like, cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Greenfield Pasture for you guys. Yep. It's just like, yeah. and I, I think it's fair because as a product owner, like I even said, and maybe I internalize this and I shouldn't, like I understand flow of data maybe more and system of data systems probably better than some engineers do. Engineers just know the requirement. I'm going to give you these inputs and I expect this output. And an engineer might sit there and write me, 2000 lines of code that take those inputs and give me those outputs. But then when it's broken and you take two weeks to troubleshoot it, I'm mad because you don't know where in those two lines, 2000 lines of code is broken. And I'm just like, if you could have stepped it out and said, this does this, and then this text piece does this, and this is your source of truth for this data. You don't recreate it over here. You pull from here. And now that's your input. Like if you don't design your system like that, I know it's going to break and I know it's going to forever to troubleshoot. So I think from a product perspective, since I understand it from a data perspective, not from a syntax and code perspective, microservices probably there's, it probably makes sense that sometimes those make more sense to a product owner design wise, even if I couldn't go technically build one. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll take a moment to defend with you the true definition. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> and at the, <laughs> the, the fun thought exercise I've done with a handful of people in teams um, is can you do microservices in a single war file? And so like defining our terms a little bit, can you do a, can you build a bunch of microservices on one web server? And the answer is absolutely. As long as each component and each URI maps to a single component that owns its own data domain in whatever database or location they're in, you can meet all of the goals of microservices in a single web server. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the where I push occasionally, or at least in the opportunities that I've had to say, do you really understand the goals that you're trying to accomplish and that you are segmenting and taking data domain ownership and chunking business logic, not adding 30 web servers when you could have one? I am not thinking infrastructure as much as I'm thinking application and feature. If that makes sense. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're putting the infrastructure piece into it. And again, that's where I'll bow out. I'm like, you guys are the experts. You do what you want to do. And you probably see more of the, the faults of now all of a sudden we're spinning up its own server and our own thing for each microservice. Like, no, all I mean by microservice is a chunk of code as input and has an output and it's a relatively small input and output. It has clear ownership of what came in and what went out. Um, so again, if you need to break any piece of that, you know where to go look for the issue. That's actually hilarious to me because most engineers say microservice and then run off and do Docker run dash, you know, or like oh, AWS, I'm, whatever. I care about feature Lambda. functionality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and also, and again, I, I think of troubleshooting just because that's where I've been living the last couple of weeks. I've been living in that 2000 lines of code. I'm like, we can't keep doing it this way. Um, but the other one is, is reusability too. Like there's plenty of times where I do feel like almost the same microservice can be reused over and over again if it has that specific line of function. So, mm-hmm. all right, we, we've killed yeah, microservices. Yeah, yeah, we've done that one. Uh, the last one, <laughs> it, it probably is pretty close to iterate. Um, shoestring and duct tape. Like, you know, it's just like, how many times does an engineer say, I don't want to use shoestring and duct tape. I don't want to use shoestring and duct tape or, you know, oh, this is a shoestring and duct tape. Like this really isn't a positive or negative. It's just kind of like, okay, we need, we need a new, we need a new phrase. So what's (laughs) like, I I actually don't know this phrase. I don't know if I've heard this. Oh, you're too literal. So (laughs) (laughs) So it just basically means like engineers don't want to build something garbage or something that was built ah, okay. very, very rickety. So shoestring and duct tape is like, it's held together by shoestring and duct tape. It's not built soundly. It's not built robustly. It's not built, you know, to, to our top code standards, you know, okay. I don't know. I, like, again, it's just one of those ones I hear. It's just like, okay, we get it. It's, it's crappy code. 
Okay. Like I, I don't want to cut corners or yeah. like, don't Same make me, you. you know, like don't make me cut corners now. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll pay for it later. Yep. Oof. Yep. That one cuts deep. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I defend it? You can. You can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you can see it coming, but I've like, I've been there so many times where you, you build something and it's supposed to run for like six months and then die. And then, seven years years later later. (laughs) (laughs) and like i've the two examples i can give you are at my first job out of college i wrote a utility for notifying people when their their deploys had failed and so managers had to go in and examine it and figure out what's going on and in so that was in 2012 and then in like 2018, I got a text from a friend who still works at the company. And he was like, hey, you parsed this Unicode character wrong. And it broke when we upgraded this email server. It's like, <laughs> why are, Why is that still anywhere? Um, like, you should have turned that off. And so, and that's the shoestring and duct tape fair where yep. you don't parse a certain character right or you miss something. And then seven it's years fragile. later somebody's yelling at you because it's broken and you're like what did i what did i even do there so, how would i even have known seen or found yeah. that without <laughs> yeah yeah like and I, and I totally get it it's just like yeah the business yeah i get it I, i've been the one to do it and say i don't care i need it tomorrow because xyz and i feel totally justified in xyz but i do feel you've got a deadline uh, exactly <laughs> these all tie together these <laughs> they're working so together. well <laughs> oh shoot Too far. all right underused I'm excited for this. Yeah, yeah. So engineering to product. What do you think product underuses? I think product underuses. So the first one I wrote down was ideation. And then you added concepting, which I haven't heard concepting. But I heard the phrase ideation. And I had to Google it and try and read up what this person was telling me to do. And it took me several reads of the definition to get it. And what hit me was that they were meaning what I wanted from an MVP, where they were meaning, um, or t-shirt sizing for that matter, where they were saying, we get that there are no commitments here. We are throwing stuff at the whiteboard to see what sticks. Nobody thinks any of your estimates are real. We are talking in generalities about possibility. And I felt so safe because <laughs> I, yep. I, it, it's, it was, their word for, I understand all of your caveats and all of the standard disclaimers you make when you're creating an, an, uh, a design or giving an estimate. And we were on the same page for what level of fidelity we were working at. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, man, this needs to be said all the time when it's true. And we're, we're really talking in abstract generalities and you're not going to try and hold me to a, a six-month timeline or whatever. So I think... This comes from you being more in operations than you have been in projects um, or agile or products uh, for that matter. So I, I know you, you, you've still done projects, so please don't let me take that away from you. But um, I would love to ha- like every time we're starting with an idea, my brain should start in ideation and concepting, which is literally just here's the problem that I'm trying to solve or here's the thing that we're trying to achieve or we're trying to do. And here's why. And in general, I also think not to dictate the solution, but to help the conversation, products usually should try to come with a first cut of this is one way I could see to solve this problem. Um, but when you're in operation and it's broke and it needs to be fixed tomorrow, there is no ideation or concepting or like, hey, let's go figure this out. It's like, dude, what are you going to do to fix this and how long is it going to take? Yeah. Yep. Um, 
but when um, I love ideation and concepting and as further I get in my career and the less that, I mean, I'll be frank, like the, the more tired I get of chasing tickets across the board, I'm like, I, I've done delivery. I've done delivery my entire, deli- my entire career and delivery is still super important. Like you have to eventually get something across the finish line and deliver, but I know how to drive to delivery. I am spending more and more time trying to focus on ideation and concepting of here's what I'm thinking based on this feedback from customers or based on this insight from the data. We have X, Y, Z problem. How can we solve it? Open table, open concept, open table, open ideas. Like what are ways we could approach this and we could solve this? Um, And so that's, I think that's a little bit of ideation. Um, Ideation sometimes even is not even defining the problem. Ideation sometimes is even more broad of just, what do you want to do next? Like, like what, like we're just totally brainstorming. We don't even have a problem to solve. We're asking what problems are there to solve? Like, so ideation can kind of go as far up the chain as you want, but I still kind of put it in idea of concepting of we are, we're starting with a blank slate or we're starting with a problem statement or a goal. How are we going to achieve it? What's what's mm-hmm. the best way to achieve it? So and I love yep. those conversations. So, yeah. And that's, I, so did, how often have you used this buzzword? in your career and at what companies and jobs I have concepting sessions every two weeks. Do you, do you call them ideation sessions or are they? Um, no. And again, this is where if we were going to spend a half hour to an hour, just a podcast on this, like I would probably go back and I would try to draw lines between ideation and concepting. I do mm-hmm. think there's some differences. If it really is just ideation, I put that before, man, again, nuances. Like I use ideation um, when I really have no thoughts on how it could be fixed. Like, like I'm like, like right now I would say what I'm doing, I I have a system that is very fragile and very broken. Um, it has what it comes in with and I know what I need to leave with how we get from point A to point B. You tell me, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. The problem that I do have in, in defense of product under using these, like I'm trying to use them more. Um, but in defense of product under using these engineering can be very difficult to work with on ideation because engineering's want go do ABC. Here's your requirements, input, export. This is what I want your system to do to get an engineer to come into a room and not have requirements is, is very hard. It takes a special engineer and not every engineer is up for that. I mean, I'll flat out say it. Not every engineer is a great fit for ideation and concepting. Every team I've ever been on, even in concepting, um, there's always one or two that are the loudest voice in concepting simply because others won't participate until there's an idea there. Once the idea is there, once there's a, some kind of architect, Great engineers will jump in and pick it apart and flush it out and do it. But when it comes with what is your way of solving this or how would you go about thinking about this? Like the kind of person that likes to be an engineer and the kind of person that wants to take that ambiguous of a, um, I, uh, of a requirement or idea ideation. Um, usually those aren't one of the same pe- person um, or if they are, that's a rare combination of a personality in my and skills in, in my experience, again, not to put everybody into a box, but um, I, I do think product tends to do a lot of ideation outside of engineering because it's hard to get engineering to the table in those conversations. That makes sense. And I don't think you're painting with too broad of a brush, at least also in my experience where there, if the, if you're in a, even a somewhat traditional company product comes up with ideas and they hand it to engineering and engineering implements it. And so there doesn't always need to be that let's, let's talk at a high level. Let's think abstractly. Let's talk about our, you know, our space that we're in. 
it's often better probably to leave engineering out of parts of that. And it, it depends on your situation, the engineers that you've got, the product that you're in or the product that you're building and all that. But And you want to make sure you're not building something infeasible or asking for the moon of like, dude, if you just would have made it a checkbox instead of a slider, like you would have saved yourself six months of development and a redesign. Like, you know, that that's helpful. But usually that's still past the ideation of what is the next thing that we want to work on? Like mm-hmm. usually that's more marketing and sometimes that's even upside of product. Like if you're a product owner, not a product manager, sometimes that even happens before, like you're not even involved in that. You're, mm. you get handed the idea and then you do the concepting on how to solve the idea. But the true ideation of what should we be doing next? What problems should we be solving next? What is the, you know, what is the next area of focus or goal? Um, a lot of times like marketing, that's founders, that's product management, uh, product directors, like, um, I, it's, I'm in a great space to where that does get put more in the hand of the product manager um, role that I'm playing to where I get to look more at what is the ideation for my product because it's my product. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next one. <coughs> Market potential and KPIs. So this is. Um, so we've had these conversations a ton where at every company I've been in, I want to understand the number of hops between myself and revenue. So I want to know where, and I, a few other things. I also want to know, is the code that I'm writing doing good in the world or is it having a negative general impact? But for this one specifically, I, I always like to know how does what I am doing make money for the company and is it, is it meeting our targets or is it not? And I think for better or for worse, that's something that engineers get insulated from at times where product owners focus on are we making money? Or are we not? Are we meeting our goals? Or are we not? And they don't always propagate that to the engineering level to say our product beat revenue expectations or our product, you know, miss them. And I think sometimes having better insight to those KPIs can be useful for engineers to be able to say, we know about optimizations or customer oriented improvements that may not be obvious to a product owner or maybe cheaper than a product owner might expect. And if we have that picture of what is it good or is it What's bad, sort of valuable <laughs> yeah, or not. what, what can yeah. you help with that? I think we can jump in and, and make some, some positive impact there in ways that might be tough for a product owner to replicate. Yep. And this goes into, I'll defend this. I think, I think you're right, but I think good product organizations should have these. And I think KPIs and market potential is the biggest difference in the industry in general between a business analyst or a delivery manager and a product owner, a business analyst or, or, or a sorry, a business analyst or delivery um, owner is going to be handed a project, then said, "Go deliver this project." A product owner is going to say, "What metrics? What KPIs am I trying to move?" And then determine what projects should be done based off that. But you're not doing projects unless you know, are they moving the needle that you're trying to move? And so the product focus and the biggest shift for me, the two times, because I've gone from delivery to product, back to delivery, back to product. And both times it's a mind shift. It, it's, it, it's, it, it takes a month or two to get back into. It's not just about delivery. I, what needles am I trying to move? What am I trying to achieve within my product? What are my KPIs or OKRs um, or other acronyms out there? Um that I'm trying to achieve and do, and then go do products to back it up. And if you're doing a project and you get an MVP out the door and the MVP doesn't move the needle, you stop, you don't iterate or you, or you experiment more and you iterate off of that MVP to try to find what will move the needle. Cause what you originally thought was going to do, it didn't do it. Hmm. So your, your KPI ends up being actually your, 
your North Star. Your KPI is, am I changing the thing and impacting the thing that I want to be changing? And a lot of times that is market potential. That could be market potential. That could be ROI. That could be um, uh, um, conversion rate. There's a ton of things that, you know, that KPI could be around depending on what kind of team you're on. But I do think you need to have those fine... your product owner should have those KPIs defined if they're doing product right. Why do we get defensive though when an engineer does? And it's wrong. I don't think products should get defensive about this, but why the couple times have I raised my eyebrow sometimes when you ask the question, why does an engineer raise their eyebrow when a product owner goes, why did that take that long? <laughs> Cause you're challenging sure, me yeah. on my job. You're, if I come to an engineer and say, wow, that took two weeks longer than I thought it. Why did it take so long? You think I'm coming in, I'm saying, you what did you do wrong? Why didn't you work faster? What what you know, what 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 did you do wrong? Or or why didn't you why weren't you better at your job? Even if it's not why didn't you do wrong, it's why aren't you better at your job? Yeah. If you come to me and say, Hey, you you find this great project for me, what's the KPI? Like you, it, it, it's the same context. Like it's a great question. It shouldn't have to be that way. The culture should make it to where engineers should value what the KPIs are and products should be evangelizing those. So the engineer isn't in the dark and even has to ask what those KPIs are. Um, yeah. But when the question comes out of nowhere in certain cultures though, well, what's the K- what's the KPI or what's the market potential? What's the ROI and product owners going, duh, 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 duh. I, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's an adequacy feeling, you know, it's yeah. offensive. It, it's hard not to get defensive on that question, probably because you haven't done your job, but because you're not in a culture that has pushed you to do that. So my, my tangent on that. That's a great analogy where the the reaction from an engineer and from me personally, when I get asked, mm-hmm. why did that take as long as it did? And the your first feeling is, I'm a failure and I need to hide it. Yes. <laughs> and yes. So, uh, yeah. And you may not have any reason to. You may, like, as a product owner... I may have had KPIs, but I thought about those two weeks ago. And for two weeks, I've been focused on this project and defining this project to meet the KPI that I haven't thought about for a month. And now you're putting me on the spot and going, what's your KPI? Like yep. it shouldn't, it shouldn't carry that connotation. Just like if I have a good product owner relationship with an engineer, if I have a good product owner relationship, I'm like, wow, that took two weeks longer. Help me understand what we missed here. That shouldn't be a defensive question. That's just, we, we missed this together or we missed a, we missed some complexity here. Help me understand it. So I don't make the same mistake twice. Like that shouldn't be a defensive question, but naturally if you don't have the culture and the relationships built up, it's a defensive question. Yep. So. Cause you jump to, and I'm, I'm exploring the emotions because I, I hadn't thought about this angle to it or if why maybe product doesn't use that as much, but like I said, you jump to, I'm a failure and I need to hide it instead of saying it took five times longer than it was supposed to because this class is a mess and I had to refactor <laughs> it to do anything. And then I had to add functional tests because otherwise everything would have gone bonkers when I deployed this. And I had to add unit tests and I had to add UI tests and all that. But it's your instinct is to hide it. So it, it's interesting because it's really, it should be an opportunity to talk about how do I when a, when a product owner asks me, why did that take longer than it should? It's an opportunity to say, would you like to pay for it to be faster next time? <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh. it should be the same reaction about market potential and KPIs. It's like, help me understand why we're here so I can contribute to being in a better place. But I I totally get it. If there's any kind of tension, if there's any defensiveness or sandbagging about you know, I'm, I'm going to circle the wagons and I'm going to push back on you whenever you change something on me. 
then asking about market potential is probably the equivalent of asking why the logging isn't better. <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> yes. it, it yep. should be, but it isn't. Yep. It just isn't, it isn't, and it never will be. Yep. yep. And so, and again, I do think I'm in a product organization now that is very much OKR and KPI driven. And so I, I do have to be evangelizing these, and my team does know what these are. Um, but if you're in a product organization that hasn't valued those, or you're, for, you're in a product organization that is more segmented to where your product owners are more delivery focused, they've been handed a project and just told to deliver the project, they may not have these details. And whenever you don't have these details and you're asked about them as a product owner, when you know you're wanting to be more product focused and more business focused, it's a challenge. It's a feeling of inadequacy. It's a feeling of failure that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So um, I think good product organization and good product evangelism should avoid that, but that's just not the case in a lot of places. So it is a challenging question to a product yeah. owner. Makes sense. It's also, to be fair, it's also not easy information to generate. Like it no. takes research. It it's takes guesses. time. It cr- yeah. And it's still a guess at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, like you, you, yeah, you, you try to de-risk it. And again, you try to prove your assumptions earlier rather than later in the same way. Uh, but at some point in time, again, to your point, until you release it, you don't know. Um, yeah. And you're just de-risking that as much as possible. Makes sense. All right. All right so underused. Oh, excuse me. I keep trying to get on mute in time for that cough. Um, I'm going to loop these all into one because I think they're kind of similar okay. and, and yeah. we've been going about 40 minutes. But underused by engineering. UX first, user journey, customer. It's it's that end user focus, whether it be their experience, whether it be their flow and how many clicks it takes, or whether it be just customer focus. Like the reason why people use our software is because they're people and they need to, they need, our software needs to deliver something for them. Like I, I wish that was more common in engineering and it is getting more. So I think there is a little bit of culture shift in newer companies and, and growing companies. But um, yeah, I just feel like a lot of times it's, What's the requirements? Let me go code. Um, old school keyboard warrior kind of days. Yeah. I do feel yeah. less of this, but I still think it's there. Yeah. And I, I've i tried to always generate empathy for my customer and think about who are all of my customers and what do they care about today, right now. Mm-hmm. And one of your customers as an engineer is your product owner. And they need to... Like they are, they're literally paying you for service or not. They may not write your paycheck, but they are a big part of why you get paid. So then your product owner is a customer. The person who uses your app or, you know, whoever pays money to the company for your app, product, tool, service, information, whatever it is, they are also your customer. Your CEO, your manager can kind of be your customer. But when you're going outside of the people you see, it's so scary because you can open up this can of worms where you go from I'm implementing this thing that somebody told me to do and they are owning the responsibility of figuring out if it's a good idea or not. And now I'm saying I want to contribute to whether or not we have a good idea here. And that's that could be terrifying depending on yeah. the culture and the environment that you're in. Because if you get involved in that and it doesn't go well, then it can blow back on you. But again, if you kind of sandbag and you hold your little line, you can blame the product owner and say, look, I I don't know who our user is. I don't know what they want. That's the product owner's responsibility. And I'm not going to care about what they're going for. And I guess I'd even say that there's a gray line in between there, because if if the product vision is poor, I'm not going to blame the engineer for that. If the user experience is poor, I'm not going to blame such a poor word, but I'm not going to I'm not going to be looking to the engineer for that now. 
do I still want my engineers to be aware and contribute and feel like they can go, wait a minute, wait a minute, why does that make sense? Or why do we do that? Like, I just want them, it's more of a caring than it is a responsibility. Now, if there is an engineer that wants to go further into UX and really dive into, well, why do you make that decision? I'm all, I'm here for it. But like, there's a reason why, again, even as a product owner, I'm not a UX designer. Like there's a specific UX designer. And even as a product owner, I'm not a marketer. I know uh, who my market is. I know who my personas are. But I'm not marketing to them or or doing the functions of marketing. Um, like those are skills and individuals, and I don't think you can say, "Well, we're a team; we're all responsible for all of it." Yes, we're a team, but I think it's not so much that we're all responsible for all of it. We, but we should care about all of it. Like we should be aware of, of it. So, like, and, and a great example: I was working for four hours in a spreadsheet today. Here's the thing with the spreadsheet. There's already another spreadsheet that contains the exact same information in this in the spreadsheet I'm creating. The problem is in the spreadsheet that already exists, it's from a finance and um, our customer is finance and invoicing and partnerships. So the way and the flow in which they have data has inputs and, and outputs scattered all over this spreadsheet of here's an input here's next here's output output oh here's an input output output oh this input actually is what gave you this output up here it's but from a business perspective it reads top to bottom and tells you the story that you're wanting to tell now if i need to own this system as i'm going to be owning this 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 product i need to be able to stick and define these 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 uh these concepts to an engineer and i know an engineer is not going to see that in the same way as my as my as the team is actually using what we're building, so I am making a new spreadsheet that has the fifty inputs at the top of here are all the configs and all the inputs and all the data you need to bring in, and then the next section is all the calculations. And the calculations make no logical sense to the actual use case, but they say input A times input B divided by input C that is this value. Input C input you know, and, and it mm-hmm. just works down the list. So long story short. I, I give credit that an engineer is not thinking of things about things the same way that an end user always is, but I want the engineer to be aware of the end user and understand that we're solving this for an end user um, and to know who the end user is. So it's again, for, from you, I, I guess you kind of took it down the way of like being involved and I would love for them to be involved, but it's even more just caring that we're caring about the user, even if you're not going to be directly involved in those design decisions. Long, long spiel. Sorry. Was the first spreadsheet put together with a shoestring and duct tape? <laughs> no, it was put together like a financial statement. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably better. Um, you, you, yeah, you're right. Where, and that's something I, I've gotten feedback on over and over again in my career is that ownership can be taken too far. And you're right. Where if the engineers spend all of their time thinking about UX, they will spend not enough building it. And so there has to be a productive balance of. I need to, and caring is a great word, where if I, as an engineer, if I don't care about the user experience at all, there are so many opportunities for me to build it to spec and then walk away and have it be not useful or compelling for a person who actually wants to use it or system or whatever. You know, I I can miss the mark so easily by not caring at all. And then caring too much can can be distracting and can ruin your productivity. But finding a balance of, I care enough to understand why you're giving me this goal so I can understand it, I can grok it, and I can, um, I can move forward with this in a way that's productive without having this constant back and forth of you catching me from making mistakes. 
And I and like, and there's no, here's an example of this that I feel like kind of encapsulates this. It's it's maybe a little extreme, but I've unfortunately encountered this kind of thing more than I'd like. So, error, uh, you get an error uh, on a function, um, and most of the time you'll have a error code, and you'll have an English definition of the error. If you as an engineer can't understand that on the screen that I display to the user. I want the user to see the English version, not the error code. Cause you as an engineer want to see the error code. Like it, 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 if that, if that's what I mean by caring is like, I expect you to make the table to tie the code to the error definition. If it doesn't have an English version, you need to ask me for one saying, Hey, this error code looks janky. Can you tell me what this error code is? And give, provide me verbiage for what I should show. Them. That's what I mean by caring. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to go design the screen, pick the color, click, pick the flow. Like, um, but if you know you can save me a click, bring it up. If you know there's an English version of this and not a code version of it, bring it up. Like so, it's more of that caring and awareness that I think is what I wish engineers more brought. Because there are so many times where you guys know the backend and what data is available to me that I don't know. That if you were thinking from a customer perspective, you could save me three clicks. You could save mm-hmm. me three screens. You could allow me to provide a better explanation to a customer. You could give me a better solution um, because you understand the user. Um, and you also know the back end and what you have available to you. So it's 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 the caring and awareness that I would like more. So I'll get off that soapbox. It's so the the echoing anecdote that I've got is I was in one of those situations a couple of years ago, or maybe a year ago now, and we were trying to figure out what error text to display to a user because it meant they had clicked the wrong sequence and they needed to go back and redo it. And we had an inch or whatever, you know, 27 pixels in each direction. And we were really struggling with what words would fit in there and make sense. And finally we kicked it over to our UX, which we should have just done. Right. Like <laughs> half hour later. People. Yeah. <laughs> and in, and you could like the person read it and the, but the little bouncy bubbles of them typing were there immediately. And then they handed us back the phrasing that fit in the box and said the exact thing we wanted. So it can also work better for both sides when you just have that moment to say, there's probably a good solution for the user. That's just not occurring to me because what I want to tell you is go back three levels and clear your cache and, you know, click this box and type this thing. And really what they need to know is go assign the role, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever the product product appropriate phrasing is. Yep. Yeah. And that's what I mean by customer. That's a perfect example of just understanding how the customer is using your system, Mm -hmm. even if you're not going to be designing it. Um, And and a good one, like even a step back from that, like level one that is great and make just tickles me when an engineer does is they tell me what's going to impact the customer. Like I got to be honest, there's sometimes like when you are going to debate for half hour, how you want to go build something like I'll tune out. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm checking email, I'm checking Slack, and I shouldn't be. But when you get that deep into the technical and you're trying to define the best technical way to solve my problem, but someone go, wait a minute, if we do this, then, and they call out that something is going to impact the customer, like, that's, that's immensely helpful. So, yeah, makes sense. Caring, caring. Yep. <laughs> care, care and concern. Yep. Oh, this is a fun one. I feel like we're yeah. going to add a lot. And a lot of these would be fun to like dive into, like, again, in full length. But yeah, I, I need to go back through and see if there are any any ones that I want to add to another podcast or anything that I want to revamp, but I, I like the, the buzzword bingo. And if anybody feels like we could tell us if you hit it, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could do this almost as a segment at the end of one. Like, Oh my gosh, I just had a new buzzword this week. We got to talk about it. I'm like, it's a way to close I would the throw podcast. That in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Fun. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, it was a fun one, man. I appreciate it. Yep. This has been learnings from the middle. Thanks for listening.